Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is a sought-after sales advisor, and he is the author of Revenue Harvest a sales leader's almanac for planning the perfect year. And he is the widely regarded authority on improving sales team performance. He has worked with dozens of B2B sales teams across the globe to more than double sales results. Private equity firms trust this guy to evaluate their sales teams to maximize the valuation of their portfolio companies. And with over 10 years of executive experience ranging from Fortune 500 companies to early stage growth companies and certification in talent optimization, he is sought after by executives to improve sales team performance. His insights have been featured in top business publications like Forbes, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, and Business Insider. He was recognized as a top consultant by Selling Power Magazine in 2021 and 2022. As a consultant and advisor, he can help any sales team with big sales goals experience consistent sales growth by utilizing his seven sales leadership principles. So let's welcome Nigel Green. How are you doing today, Nigel? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on. So, Nigel, I'd like to get started by asking you to please share your story. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? You know, Victor, it's a good question. It, it kind of found me, like a lot of things in life that are good, uh, they you don't find them, it finds you. I started my career as a sales rep, which is inherently a little bit entrepreneurial uh, from the standpoint, uh, not in the truest sense, but at least it's a great introduction to entrepreneurship because it's one of those uh, opportunities where you have to be in charge of how you spend your time. uh, And in some instances, how you price things, uh, How ultimately because you get to control how you earn a living. The benefits of starting an entrepreneurial journey in sales is that you don't have to worry about coming up with an offering, all of the operational or back office support. The company does that for you. So if, if there's anybody that is you know, kind of thinking about, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I don't know where to start. Sales is a great place to do it uh, because it gives you an opportunity to, to do the primary function of an entrepreneur, which is to create a customer. So I did that. I was in sales for a while, then led sales teams. Then ultimately, Victor, I got to this place in my career where uh, I was just unemployable. I I felt like uh, I had learned enough about business that I was ready to be in the business of me versus building someone else's dream. And welcome to entrepreneurship. And so I run a company of one. It's it's just me. I have a virtual assistant, but I'm the only employee. And it's a practice that exists for founders and sales leaders who can't afford to miss their number. Uh, I, I help them and think through things that will prevent them from scaling and, and ultimately reaching the exit that they want. One of the things that I think uh, makes business a little bit different from school. So school gives you the lesson, then it gives you the test. Well, business is very different. It gives you the test and it gives you the lesson. And so what, what my job is for founders and sales leaders is to help them think about the questions that are most certainly going to be on the test. I may not have the answer for them, but I'm going to show them the questions that they can expect on the test. Got it. Then. Uh, thanks for sharing that. So basically you were in sales, but can I ask you how long you were, were you in sales before you switched over to uh, your own business? Uh, about 15 years. 
15 years. Okay, so you definitely had a lot of experience. So, and like you said, uh, being in sales um, is a great way to prepare yourself for being an entrepreneur because you do do a lot of things on your own, as you talked about. And then you went on to uh, start your own business and pretty much, pretty much mostly do work by yourself. And you do have a VA that helps you, which uh, I highly recommend to people if you can afford one. If you're trying to do everything by yourself, it's really hard, but having a VA can you know, the VA can do the things that are not too important. And so you can focus on the things that are really important. You can make, you know, your money producing activities. So definitely I, I highly recommend that. And um, you work in getting, helping people achieve their numbers. And, you know, basically your dream was you were, you were ready to build your own dreams instead of someone else's dreams. And I think that happens to a lot of people who wind up becoming entrepreneurs because they say, you know what, okay, I've been doing this for a lot of years. I've helped other people build dreams. But, you know, maybe I should focus on my own dreams. And that's when you decide like you to go out on your own. And you mentioned that the difference between school and business is in school, you get the lesson and then you get the test. Whereas with business, it's the other way around. You get the test and then you get the lesson. And would you say that one of the things is between business, because you're getting the practical experience, I guess in school, you're getting a lot of theory, which is good. You really don't learn the lesson until you actually go out there and do the work and, you know, try out everything and that's when you learn the things you learn you make your mistakes you learn from your mistakes and that's really in the applying is is where you're learning is would you say that's correct yeah i think it's the it is the application and ultimately it's experience there's no substitute for uh, the the actual experience because uh you know there's this kind of loosely thrown around uh comment that business isn't personal. I haven't met one flipping entrepreneur where business was anything but personal. And when things are personal, it's not sterile. Business school and, and the lessons in school, are they're all sterile because it's somebody else's life, uh, reputation, experience, the stories they tell themselves about their life, the reputation, the experience, the risk, the fear, the uncertainty, the doubt, the self-worth, all that stuff matters. And so the experience of making the decisions while navigating your thoughts and feelings, that's that's the journey, my man. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely the experience when navigating through, you know, through the journey and and you're right. Uh, you say it's you know, people say business is not makes me think of the God, but it's business, not person. But you're right, it is person. You're dealing with people, you're dealing with egos. And really, and I'm sure, you know, from your, your own experience doing it for all these years, uh, if you don't have a relationship with people, with prospects, with clients, um, if they don't like you, um, it's for, they're not going to work. I don't care how good you are, what you do. If, you know, they don't trust you, if they don't like you, they're like, I don't like this guy. They got, you have to have developed that trust and likability factor because that's the only way they're going to work you. Because I can tell you straight out, I, I, I get, a, especially on LinkedIn, I get approached all the time. Uh, but a lot of people, I have no idea who these people are offering me all kinds of things. And I just ignore them because I don't know these people. I don't have a relationship with them. I don't like them. They may be great people, but I've never developed that relationship with them. So, you know, but people I've, you know, work, you know, I've interacted with over the years and they reach out to me for something. I will listen to them because I have a relationship. I like these people. So I agree. It's very, very personal. You know, it's, it's, yeah. So definitely some good stuff here. So, um, so tell us when you switched over, um, because you had a lot of sales experience. Was, did you start seeing immediate success, or did you have some up and downs because you were trying a new business on your own? How was that first year or two in your new business when you branched out on your own? Well, um, yes, I had immediate success. Uh, the first three or four years, 
each year was very different. Uh, and I'll go back and unpack that. But, but because I started my career in sales, every year I've made more money because it's about what I think any business should be about. And that is creating customers. It doesn't matter how much you like your offering. If the market doesn't want to pay you money for it, you don't have a business. And so that, that's why I said each year was very different. I started out in my first year of business, just basically being a fractional employee to other companies, which was fine. And it was a great place for me to learn about being an entrepreneur because I had to work on systems and processes in my own business while also doing work to generate the income. And then I moved, I got some clarity around the types of work that I do that was most valuable, least valuable, things I thought that I wanted to test in the coming months, years. And now I'm at this place now where I'm pretty clear on the things that I do that are unique and valuable and that people will pay money for. And I've productized them in a way that I'm not going into a month or a year scrambling to try to figure out, well, where's it going to come from this year? It's all, it's a little bit more repeatable. Yes, there is some volatility, but it runs a lot more like a traditional service or, or product business where I've got you know X number of units or X number of widgets or whatever, and I've got a pipeline and, and I know how to create demand. I know how to manipulate demand and I know how to deliver against the, the expectations that I set for my business. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. So basically you've always made money. You, you know, every year was different. And you say you spent the first few years being a fractional employee of other companies and you were learning during those first few years. And then you, after a while, you get some clarity about what was most valuable and what was not valuable. And you also put up an important point. You want to create customers. And unfortunately, you avoided the mistake that a lot of people make. People say, I like this. So other people are going to like it. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes, I don't, you may like it, but people like, I don't care for it. So you, your focus was, what can I sell that people like, that people need? And when you take that focus, you're going to, like you say, you're going to create more customers and you're going to make more sales. So you got to focus on what is it that people are looking for, not on what you look for that you think people want. And that that's a that's a big mistake a lot of people make. So I'm glad you brought that up. So eventually you got clarity about what was valuable and not valuable, what was making you money, what people were willing to pay for and what people were not willing to pay you for or pay little for. It kind of sounds a little bit like um, the 80-20 rule. Like you figure out 80% of your business is coming from this. And, you know, so you were focusing on the 80% that was bringing you to business. So, and and and, and that comes from 20% of the things that you're doing. And the other 20% of your business is coming from the other 80%, which is not as important. And unfortunately, a lot of people, they try to do all things equally. So and you're focusing on that small 20% that is bringing you the, like the 80% of the business. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, I think so. And I would say that probably even more clear or more disproportionate than that. Uh, like, So I've gotten so clear that my offering is I don't do sales training. So I don't train reps. I just train and coach and advise revenue leaders. And then here's the other part where it's really clear of a certain type of company. So I'm not just working with any company. You have to mostly be in healthcare, reach a certain level of size and scale. 
and have this ambition of exiting the business in three to five years or recapitalizing it, having some type of liquidity event or recapitalization. Super niche and it allows for the product to have integrity and get an outcome. Because if there's a lot of variation in the product, the outcome's not going to be there, which ultimately means if the outcome's not there, people aren't going to pay for it. If you buy a vacuum and it doesn't clean a floor, they're not going to pay for it. And so in my world, they're they're buying improved sales teams. And so that that's can vary based on size, scale, stage, type of business. And I just know in healthcare, in a B2B offering, micro cap or mid-market, certain size or scale, trying to exit in three years, I'm best in the world at that. No, and that that definitely makes a lot of sense. And and you brought up a very important point there. Well, first of all, you talked about the fact that um, you train and coach and advise revenue leaders. <clears throat> and your thing, your focus on the healthcare, you're very super niche. And I think a lot, mistake a lot of people make is they try to do everything. They try to market to the whole world. They try to do all these industries. And when you're spread out all over the all around, it's going to get you in trouble because you you could become like a renaissance man, you know, jack of all trades, but a master of nothing. And you don't, you're not an expert at it. You're an expert in your, at your field because you, you, you became super niche. You focus on this one thing. It's really great. And, you know, you can get results, at, you know, because of that. When you try to do it, they do the same. When you try to market to everyone, you market to no one. So you got to focus on the, you know, one thing that you're really good at, niche down, and you get a lot of results. You have to say, there's a lot of integrity there. The things will work. Because if, if the things don't work, people are not going to buy from you. You gave the example of the vacuum cleaner. It doesn't pick up dirt. No one will pay money for it. So, you know, definitely some really good stuff here. So, you know, so, yeah, so basically, you know, you don't train to say, so you help with the revenue sales. So how does the process go about, you know, you know, uh, helping these people build their sales team, you're hiring sales team. And, and when would you say is the right time for, for a company to hire a sales leader for the program? Yeah, it's a great question. I get it all the time. Uh, the, the process is really simple uh you have a number the number has to support number being a sales number you you've got some idea of how much growth you want to have first problem with companies is that the number makes sense in the in the entrepreneur's head but nobody else believes it's not very believable uh and then that sets into motion a cascading list of potential flaws around hiring, technology, process, customers. And, and I come in and, and help them understand how to reverse engineer whatever they want that sales number to be in three to five years from now. What, what are the investments they need to make? You can do the right thing at the wrong time and it's a bad decision. So I help them think not only about the, the investments, but how to sequentially do them in their business. Then you, you ask the follow-up question about when is the right time to hire a sales leader. The right time to hire a sales leader is when you can have unaffiliated customers, meaning that they did not come from the entrepreneur's network. They didn't buy specifically from Victor because of who Victor is, because he was a doctor, because they knew him, or they were part of the same private equity investment fund. You have unaffiliated customers that people other than you, the founder, can close. Not just a person, but people. You have multiple salespeople that in a month, in a quarter, in a year, can close unaffiliated customers 
time to hire a sales leader. You do it before that, it's a big mistake. Got it. All right. So uh, you helped him, you know, you know, do this plan over three to five years. What investors to make once they in because if you do them at the wrong time, it can cause all kinds of problems. So, and then you talked about, you know, hire the sales and we can get those unaffiliated customers that you can close. And, uh, and that's good to know because, you know, I think this is something a lot of companies don't know. So it seems like if they make the wrong decisions in the wrong time or they're making the wrong investments at the wrong time or even the right investments, but they do it too early or too, too late and cause all kinds of issues. So, um, and you talk a little bit more because, you know, uh, you know, when the right time is a high risk sales leader. And then when you get them, you know, what are some of the things you should expect from that sales leader when you hire him? Well, one mistake that I see um, pretty commonly in the marketplace is, and this is because they hired a sales leader too early, they expect that sales leader to come in and lead a small group of of individuals and also produce. Well, that's not the job of a sales leader. You, you need to hire someone other than that. Uh, and, and I think that for the most part, uh, the what a sales leader ought to be able to do is drive your top line revenue. So that's, that's cash in a profitable way. They, so in, in the way we do that profitably means that uh, we maintain margin while also making sure that we don't have one or two reps that carry the team. So we drive that top line revenue equitably amongst a team that is always getting better. Every sales rep is, is getting better and moving closer to being at target. And we're not relying on two to two or three to carry the entire team. Then they can help you think about, so that's cash. And they think about the competition. They help you think about how you put yourself out of business by refining, amending the offering before someone else puts you out of business. And then the last piece is customers. They help you understand how to go deeper with customers. One of the things that I think plagues uh, sales leaders is they get so focused on existing offerings. They're not looking for ways to go back to the customer and sell them something else. And so if you've got a set of customers that are already buying one or two types of offerings from you, even if they're just buying one, it's your job to think about what are other things that we can do, other problems we can solve for this customer? Because it's fundamentally easier to keep a customer and sell them something else than it is to go acquire a new one that doesn't trust you. So cash, competition, and customers. I like that cash, competition, and customers. And um, yeah, and you mentioned don't, you know, also avoid having just one or two guys carry the team you want to make sure that everyone's doing their fair share and you mentioned the last part about customers um all, just also find uh, they've bought for you before see if they have other needs that you can sell so they can continue to buy from you because i'm sure your experience will tell you it's much easier to sell to someone you've sold to before than to sell to someone you've never sold to who's never worked with you it's always easier to work with someone who bought for you would you agree that's yeah, yeah that's the that's the principle right there Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely. And um, next thing, you know, because when you're hiring, you know, the, the salespeople, you know, what are some of the factors like, you know, the, the, when the company's hiring this uh, sales, what are, how do you know when they're hiring the right sales? It's because they have a good track record. Do they have, uh, are there some, you know, it's also how do they get along with people? Do they, are they, they someone that 
that that are that are likable. What are some of the factors that the company should take into account when hiring Cisco? Because I, I I assume it can't be all just you know you know production, but I'm sure it's like you know personality factors as well. Is it a combo of the two, or does one dominate? Yeah, well, the 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 long answer. I, this is going to sound like a plug, but I, I've got a, a two hour course on hiring salespeople that uh, I've interviewed over five thousand sellers and made over three hundred hires myself. So if you wanted to check that out, that that'll give you the cheat code on hiring salespeople. But here are some some headlines from that story: the best sales talent is found then trained, and what I mean by that is. They probably don't work at your company. They're not the receptionist or somebody in customer success that's nice that you can put into a sales role. Don't do that. The second thing about finding them is uh, they didn't find you. You have to find them. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of companies, when they go to hire for sales, they go post a job and then they start interviewing candidates. That might work for an engineer. It might work for a receptionist. It might work for some non-sales jobs. Here's the problem with that. Salespeople that are successful are not looking for jobs. The reason why they're not looking for jobs is because they are earning commissions and being successful in their current employment situation. They don't need your job. You have to go find them. Most of the sales reps that are applying to your job have either recently lost a job or expect that they will lose a job because of underperforming. You don't get fired if you are a top performer. You can get away with murder as long as you are the top performer. You will keep your job. So this is an anomaly that exists only in selling. So I, I tell people, if you want to hire the top person for your business, for your offering, you're going to have to go find them, and you're going to have to find them and interrupt them being successful somewhere else. No, that's a very good point there you made. The, the top salespeople, they're only they're already doing well. They're making a lot of sales, they're making a lot of money. Um, they're not looking for something because they're they're already extremely profitable, successful. And if you're posting a job advertising, you're likely getting people who aren't that good or either just get fired or probably afraid they're gonna get fired. So you're very likely not to get someone who's you know top of the line. So that's that's what you meant by go find them. So you got to look for those people that are working elsewhere that are very successful. And you can say this generally only applies to sales. It doesn't apply to a lot of other professions. So I think that's a good point to make. I never thought of that before, but it makes a lot of sense. All right. So um, next thing is, all right. So you, you have a client. The sales team has grown every year, but all of a sudden, sales are flat. So it's it's it's, it's not going up. So what's going on? Is there something they can do about it or are they doing something wrong? Yeah. So when, when sales tend to go flat, it goes back to the, the three C's that I said a sales leader need to understand. Uh, it's either something around cash means that you probably are due for a price increase to pass along. You haven't done that in a long enough time. Or, and, and so maybe you measure sales by uh, some other meaningful metric, not just, average transaction value well then that's around customers you're not either you're either not creating enough which means you may have a team of sellers that is too busy managing accounts and not doing enough prospecting so you may have to specialize around the your customer acquisition process you might have to specialize by type of customer you might have to specialize by uh, stages of the buying cycle but you're not creating enough customers 
or you're not coming up with an, enough offering, a new offerings to go back and sell to those existing customers. So you got you got a cash or a pricing or a customer problem or third competition. Somebody has moved your cheese and you got to figure out uh, where the business is going, which means going back to customers that have churned or uh, customers that choose not to renew and try to understand why. But again, that that goes to your question earlier about what should a sales leader be doing? A sales leader's got to figure this out. And it's either cash, customers, or competition. That makes a lot of sense. The three C's, cash, customers, competition. Is the competition taking away some of your customers? Or maybe you're not getting, you know, work on getting enough customers, you need more, or maybe it's something with the price. So those are definitely some things to keep in mind if, you're, if your sales are like flat and, you know, not moving. Um, as we're coming toward the end of our interview, are there any last minute pieces of advice you'd like to leave for our audience? I would just say, you know, because this is primarily entrepreneurs, you, your job is to understand the voice of the customer. And a lot of times the, the mistake I see entrepreneurs making is wanting to get out of that function. They, they want to just create this business that you know, sends them distribution checks or mailbox money and they want to get involved, get uninvolved in the business too early. And I think that, you know, if you're, if you're building a business that's built to last, uh, the primary responsibility of the entrepreneur is to understand the customer. And yes, you can hire a sales leader. Yes, you can hire a sales team, but my goodness, that you still have to be involved and meet with customers or your business is going to die. You're right. Your customers are the uh, lifeline of your business and you got to understand where they come from, what they want. You and like you said, you've got to understand the voice of your customers. And if you, if you turn that focus away, your business is going to die eventually. So definitely a great way to end it. Listen, Nigel, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It was a real pleasure having you on. You share a lot of great value, a lot of great tips today. And I really appreciate it. And if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Uh, you can go to my uh, website, nigelgreen.co, and I've got a button on there that says, let's talk. So hit that button. Let's grab a conversation. All right. Sounds great. Thanks again, Nigel. Appreciate having yourself a great day. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.